The following podcast was originally released for the fine folks over on my Patreon on Friday, March the 11th, 2022. You too can join the Patreon for just a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. When I was a kid, all I ever wanted was to be a skateboarder. So my parents bought me a skateboard and I set out to learn as many tricks as I could. But you know what I realized after years and years of trying my best to learn how to skate? The hardest thing about skateboarding is the concrete. Welcome to another episode of My Other Podcast, the podcast created just for you, my patron. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and before we get started here today, I have a couple of announcements and stuff. First and foremost, if you haven't yet joined the Just Another Fanboy message board, why not? Come on, don't you want to be cool? The message board is now a week old. And we are motoring right along over there with our posts about comics and movies and TV shows and books and music and all of that stuff. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And I'm just sad for you, you know, for not being a part of it. So just go on over to forum.justanotherfanboy.com, register, and then get in there and start posting. Actually, you need to read the rules first. I mean, they are pretty simple. Be nice to each other. No religion, no politics, no hate speech, and no spam. If you can hang with that, then you can hang with us. Next up on the agenda is just a reminder that if you want every episode of Just Another Fanboy, along with any other podcast I do, sent directly to your email inbox, then you got to join my free newsletter over at the Substack. Just go to list.justanotherfanboy.com, put in your email address, and you're done. Easy peasy lemon squeezy, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the thing. Starting Sunday, I'm going to be sending out my books to all the folks who have subscribed to the newsletter. It's just going to happen one chapter at a time, and it'll go every Sunday, and I'm starting with chapter one of Then a Penguin Walked In. And you know what? It's still free. So list.justanotherfanboy.com. Get on over there, folks. All right. Let's get into the meat of this episode. Today, I want to take you on a trip, a journey through time. Our destination, January 1989. Poison hit number one with Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Cheers, Roseanne, and The Cosby Show were the top three programs on TV. And a little movie about a skateboard punk forever changed my life. All right, that's not true, but a little movie about a skateboard punk hit the theaters and I thought it was pretty cool just does not sound as dramatic. So today on my other podcast, I want to talk to you about Gleaming the Cube. I'm different. You checked yourself out in the mirror this morning? <laughs> it's an oversimplification. When I say different, I mean different. Brian, you gleam the cube.
<laughs> Don't you just love that song? Isn't that great? I mean, it's 89. That's when this movie came out. January of 1989. And it is still, that music is still just clinging to the 80s for all it's worth. Now, I would have been 16 at the time that this movie came out. And it stars Christian Slater as Brian Kelly, who is a 16-year-old skateboarder. And he's investigating the death of his adopted Vietnamese brother. I was really into Christian Slater at the time. I don't really quite know why. I guess, you know, this was the first thing I think I had ever seen him in. And then he did a movie called Pump Up the Volume, in which he also played a teenager who started a pirate radio station. And uh, that really did kind of affect me to a certain extent, because I remember walking out of the theater after watching Pump Up the Volume and just thinking, I have to do a pirate radio station. I never did, of course. I was, like I said, it was a, well, I might have graduated from high school at that point. But anyway, here we are now. I'm podcasting. So I guess that's kind of the same thing, right? Anyway, this movie was directed by a guy named Graham Clifford, who, uh, if, if you don't recognize the name, that's okay. He did go on to direct a big bunch of TV movies that I have never heard of. Uh, Tony Hawk, famous skater, Tony Hawk, he's in the film as one of Brian's skater friends, Buddy. And Christian Jacobs, the MC Bat Commander from the Aquabats, is also in the film, and he plays another of Brian's skater friends named Gremick. Not sure what that name signifies, Gremick. Anyway, the film has four taglines, and I wanted to give you all four taglines. The first one is, They've broken Brian's world apart. Now it's time to even the score. (laughs) The second one is, they've smashed Brian's life. Now he's going to shatter theirs. And then number three, when getting even means risking it all. And then number four, my favorite, all he cared about was gleaming the cube until the night they killed his brother. Now, I played a little sample there before the song in which uh, one of... Brian's friends, Yabo, tells him that he gleams the cube. And you know what? There's a whole there's a whole bunch of stuff out there online uh, about this whole gleaming the cube thing. And it apparently it it comes from a, a a question that somebody asked somebody else in Thrasher magazine or something. I, I don't know. I it sounds like nonsense to me, but here's what I'm gonna do for you guys here. I'm gonna go through and I'm gonna read you the synopsis of the movie as it's written here on uh, Wikipedia. And as I'm reading it, I may break off now and again to give my thoughts, or I may just save it all up for the end. Here we go. You ready? Let's buckle in. Brian Kelly is an underachieving high school student in Orange County, California. An avid skateboarder, Brian is frequently at odds with his parents for his increasingly reckless behavior, which has landed him in jail on more than one occasion. I don't remember that coming up. At the beginning of the movie, I he does go to jail at one point in the movie, but I don't, maybe I just missed it completely that, that he has been, you know, that he's gone to jail more than once. I, I don't know. I, I, I completely missed that part. Anyway, to continue, the only person in the family Brian can relate to is his adopted Vietnamese brother, Vin, who works as a shipping clerk for the Vietnamese Anti-Communist Relief Fund, or VACRF, which... Going forward, I'm just going to call it VACRF because that's just going to be easier. This is an organization which sends medical supplies 
to Vietnam. When Vin discovers a suspicious inaccuracy in Vacriff's shipping records, he brings it to his boss, Colonel Track, who fires Vin when he tries to investigate. This was a, a very dramatic part of the movie because Brian comes home and he finds Vin. They share a bedroom together. He comes home and he finds Vin in bed smoking. And Vin, it's like his life has just been destroyed. He he can't stop thinking about this inaccuracy that he found. And at first, apparently, he feels, because he got fired, that he's the one who made the mistake. But as he's telling Brian what happened, he realizes, maybe I'm not the one who made a mistake. Hmm. And that's where we get into the thick of things. So undeterred, Vin sneaks into Westpac Medical Supplies, the warehouse handling Vacruff's shipping, but is apprehended by owner Ed Lawndale. Vin is then interrogated by Lawndale and Bobby Nguyen, another of Colonel Track's employees at a motel. When Colonel Track arrives, it is revealed that he and Lawndale are conspirators in a scheme to smuggle illegal weapons to Vietnam. Convinced that Vin poses no threat to their operation, Track intends to set him free. But Vin is accidentally strangled to death by Nguyen. They hang Vin's body from a noose, so the police deem it a suicide. Yeah, so Bobby Nguyen, who he's he's a uh, I don't think he's a teenager. He might be in his twenties, maybe. They don't they don't really uh, give you much of an idea about that. But he uh, when they they get to this scene, it opens with him soaking a towel in a in a kitchen or in a kitchen sink. Couldn't Lord in in the uh, sink in uh, the hotel, the motel room. God, I can't talk in the motel room. And he's got it all wound up like maybe what you might do if you're going to, you know, snap somebody with a towel. And then he he kind of wrings the, the excess water out of it. And then he just starts strangling Vin. And apparently it's a torture technique that he's done many times. And never once has anybody that he's tortured never once have they died from this technique, but somehow he manages to kill Vin while Lawndale and Track are outside. And, you know, it's just one of those tragic things where (laughs) Track is about to let the kid go, but because he's being tortured, he ends up dying. You know, maybe they should have just said, hey, why don't you just wait a minute? I'm going to go talk to Track. Don't stop torturing him. We're not interrogating him at this point. I'm going to step out of the hotel room. I'm being Lawndale at this point. So just just stop torturing him. But no, that doesn't happen. And so Vin dies. After the funeral, Brian finds the list of medical supplies Vin was investigating written in Vietnamese. Looking for someone to translate it, he encounters Bobby Nguyen, who starts to follow him. Brian sneaks into the backseat of Nguyen's car and witnesses a meeting with Track and Lawndale, in which Nguyen demands $50,000 and a ticket to Bangkok at gunpoint. But a struggle ensues, and Lawndale kills Nguyen. Brian flees to notify the police, but they find no trace of the crime and later learn that Nguyen supposedly arrived in Thailand. Brian tries to convince Detective Al Lucero that his brother did not commit suicide. While skeptical, Lucero, who looks a bit like Jerry Seinfeld's tough older brother, offers to look into it. So this is the part of the movie where a 16-year-old boy decides he's going to investigate the murder 
of his adopted brother. And he does a fairly successful job at it. And, you know, as a 16-year-old watching this movie for the first time, that that didn't fade. It just made sense. You know, yeah, if somebody killed my brother, I'd be out there investigating it too. I wouldn't care if the cops, what they're going to do. I'm going to do it myself and I'm going to get it done. And uh, looking at it now as an, as, as an adult, it just, I don't know, <laughs> it's a little far-fetched. So continuing, suspicious of Colonel Track, Brian reaches out to Track's daughter, Tina. Uh, let me just back up a second. Suspicious of Colonel Track is what it says. Of course he's suspicious of Colonel Track. He just watched Track and Lawndale kill Bobby Nguyen and stuff his body in the, in the trunk of Bobby's car. So that just seems kind of silly to say suspicious of Colonel Track. Anyway, Brian reaches out to Track's daughter, Tina, a fellow high school student and Vin's ex-girlfriend. After an image makeover, Brian asks her out on a date and the two become closer. He attends one of the Vacriff's social functions where he notices Lawndale and learns of his connection to Track and Westpac. Following in his brother's footsteps, Brian sneaks into Lawndale's warehouse and uncovers a shipping crate full of weapons. All right, so as a 16-year-old boy watching this movie at the time, I really had a hard time with this part of the movie because here's what happens. They kind of gloss over it. They just say, after an image makeover. So Brian realizes that he's going to have to cozy up to Tina. Not only was she Vin's girlfriend uh, when he died, uh, she's also the daughter of Colonel Track, who he is pretty darn sure killed Vin. Well, she is a total preppy, and so was Vin. Uh, Brian, of course, is a skateboarder, so he does the whole ripped up jeans, earring, spiked freaking hair with highlights in it, that kind of stuff, concert t-shirts and junk like that, fingerless glove. He's always wearing a fingerless glove. And uh, he realizes that uh, because he he basically, he says, I, he, he buys her a Coke out of the machine at high school, at, at the high school. Uh, I'll get this talking thing uh, solved at some point in my life, folks. Anyway, he, he buys her a Coke out of the machine at the high school, and he tells her that he wants to be her friend. And she kind of laughs, and she's she's like, we have nothing in common, Brian. And he says, well, we have Vin. And she says, look, it doesn't matter. Even if I wanted to be your friend, my father does not allow me to date or be friends with white boys. And that's when he kind of realizes that if he's going to make this work, if he's going to get close to her so that he can get close to track, you know, Colonel Track, and maybe find out what's going on, he's going to have to completely change his image. And so he goes full prep. And it's it's a very funny moment because, again, as a kid, it didn't faze me that uh, Brian goes into the bathroom shirtless, takes his earring out, takes his fingerless glove off, which seemed to be a really big deal. It was a big moment in Brian's life to take off his fingerless glove. And then he just starts cutting his own hair. And it, you know what? It turned out really well. And as a kid, again, it didn't phase me, but watching that now, really hard to imagine. I just, somebody just cutting their own hair in the mirror and having it turn out great. Anyway, so yeah, he goes full preppy. And not only does he do that, he he practically starts ignoring all of his skater friends. And, you know, watching that now as an adult, I'm watching it and I'm realizing this is what he's doing. This is what he has to do to solve the murder of his brother. He's got to 
become this person. It's temporary. He's basically like a cop who has gone undercover. I didn't, you know, I, I've always been a stupid man. We, we've talked about this, I'm sure, before. Um, I'm, I'm somewhat of an idiot. Well, imagine me at 16 years old. I, all I could think of was how he is betraying himself and his friends by turning away from the skater lifestyle and becoming a prep. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I knew somewhat in the bottom of my heart that uh, he had to do this. But at the same time, I almost felt like at the time, I think, that he was doing this permanently. You know, that he wasn't going to go back to being a skater. I mean, he he's riding a bike at one point and uh, his, his friends try to talk to him and you know, at one point, Yabo is like, look, I don't know what's going on, man. I know that you blame yourself for Vin's death, but, you know, your friends, me, your friends, we we think about you. We're here for you. And and Brian's just like, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I got to go. And just kind of blows him off. So, I, again, I had a hard hard time with that as a kid watching that and uh, watching it now. It's it's still it, the whole movie is very silly, but I understood his motivation a little bit more now as a grown man. Anyway. Brian causes an explosion at the warehouse and plants evidence to incriminate Track. But Lucero immediately suspects Brian and admonishes him for the act. However, the incident causes Track to panic and send his wife and daughter away to his brother's house. A distressed Tina spends the night with Brian. Not like that. Get your head out of the gutter. They were not lovers in the nighttime. She just needed a shoulder to cry on. (sighs) You people. Your dirty thoughts. Wash your freaking brain out with soap. Anyway, Tina spends the night with Brian and discovers a lighter belonging to her father in Brian's room, leading Brian to explain all of his suspicions to her. See, at one point he goes and he's hanging out at her house with her. The parents aren't home. And he asks her, you know, I'm going to use the restroom. Can you show me where to tell me where it is? And so when he goes to use the restroom, he he instead slips into her father's den, finds, you know, some some incriminating evidence, I guess, not much, but he takes this lighter that belongs to him. And it's it's a funny moment because she's like, hey, we're, this is my father's lighter. And he's like, no, no, it's not. And she goes, no, it is. Where did you get this? And he goes, eh, I just, I found it somewhere. It's, it's, it's not your father's. And she goes, the, you know, some big dignitary gave it to him. And he's like, no, no, I just say, you know, I got it at a pawn shop or something. And she goes, it's got his name on it. <laughs> and he's like, all right. And then he tells her everything. And uh, so that leads her to angrily. So, all right, let me just go back to reading. Tingra, Tingra, Tingra does the stuff with the things. Tina angrily confronts her father about the conspiracy who is shamed by his involvement and contacts Lawndale to end the operation. In response, Lawndale sends a group of Vietnamese motorcyclists to run Brian down on the street. The police manage to apprehend the bikers, and with the aid of an interpreter, Lucero is able to confirm Lawndale's role in the attack. That was actually a pretty cool scene. These these three guys on motorcycles are chasing Brian down a, a very, very large and long hill. It might have might as well have been the side of a freaking mountain. But Brian is just on his skateboard, and he's doing some freaking speed skating, and it, it was pretty cool. I, even as an adult, I enjoyed that moment. Actually, speaking of the skateboarding, we're almost done with the with the movie. But um, 
before I forget about this, there's a couple of things I need to say about the the skateboarding that happens in the movie. Uh, we only see it a few times throughout the movie. I mean, it is kind of a big part of the end, but Brian and his gang at the beginning of the movie, they uh, have a guy who is a pilot and they bribe him to take them up in his little plane so they can fly over uh, Orange County and find empty swimming pools for them to skate in. And so we see some skating there. Um, we have this downhill race, which was pretty cool. But there's a couple of moments in the movie where I'll use an example. Uh, in comparison, I guess I should say, if if you were watching a movie that was considered a dance movie that was about dancers, the main character who is a dancer, if something happens in their life, something that, you know, like the death of a brother uh, and the, the the only way you know that the only way that that dancer is going to be able to work through those emotions is by dancing. So, of course, Brian, when he finds out his brother dies, the way he works through those emotions is by skateboarding. And there, there's twice in the movie that he does that. It's just like uh, suddenly he's like, I'm very upset and emo and I have to just go skate. And so he's by himself in, in some place just skating. And the, the tricks are pretty awesome. He, you know, the guy, whoever is playing him as the skateboarder, uh, I have a feeling it's more than one person, but the tricks were, were pretty freaking awesome. They were, they were pretty good scenes. If you're into skateboarding and skateboarding stunts, those were a couple of pretty cool scenes. Um, I feel like there was something else I was going to say about the skateboarding and now. And now I can't think of it. Anyway, let's let's uh let's get back to the movie. Brian visits his friend Yabo, who builds a newer, faster skateboard for Brian and rallies the rest of the skateboarding clique. Brian and the police both converge upon Colonel Track's house, where Lawndale holds Tina at gunpoint. When Track tries to wrestle the gun away, Brian crashes into the room through the window, but Lawndale shoots and kills Track, then escapes in a police car. Brian, Lucero, and the entire skateboarding crew eventually corner Lawndale. As Lawndale prepares to shoot Brian, he soars into the air on his skateboard and knocks Lawndale out. Brian comforts Tina about her father's death and suggests that they return to school together, implying that their relationship will continue. Afterwards, Brian and Lucero visit Vin's grave before driving away. And that's the end of the movie. So, this 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 last bit here, the whole uh, epic conclusion, the big you know the big fight scene, basically the big action packed ending. So it starts with Brian. You know he 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 like it says he has Yabo build him a newer skateboard. You know because he, he broke his and stuff. And then he uh, as Yabo's getting all of the their their whole skateboarding crew together, and that it happens basically. Uh, Buddy, who's played by Tony Hawk apparently works at the local Pizza Hut and drives a Pizza Hut truck, which is just a small pickup truck with like the red Pizza Hut roof over the top of the cab. And all of the skateboarders converge on the Pizza Hut. Buddy jumps into the cab and the rest jump into the back of the pickup truck. And then they head out uh, to find Brian. Brian, in the meantime, goes to Colonel Track's house. He has this uh, elaborate garden backyard thing with the, the with like a like a fish pond and and uh just all this rock work and walls and stuff and apparently it's perfect for Brian to climb up on this wall 
and crouch upon this wall and look into the house through the big, it's, I don't know if they say it's a window, but it's probably, it's, if it's a window, it's, it's a huge freaking window. To me, it looks more like maybe it's a sliding glass door, but I guess it was a window. It's just a big window that looks out over the backyard. And yet, Lawndale, Tina, and Colonel Track, all in this room, don't see Brian just crouched out there on the frickin' wall, even though it's in the middle of the day. This isn't a nighttime thing. And so he's crouched there. He's got the he's got some new pads and a helmet on that his mom bought him earlier in the movie. And uh, he's holding his new skateboard. And then when Lawndale grabs Tina and puts the gun at her head and he and Track start to wrestle, Brian's like, all right, here we go. And he leaps off of the frickin' wall, skates down this little arch thing that's on the side, jumps over the frickin' fish pond, and then jumps into the air with his board and crashes into the window and manages to do nothing at all. Because in the end, all that happens, he doesn't stop anything from happening. In fact, he actually aids in Lawndale's escape because Lucero unbeknownst to Brian, has arrived at Track's house. He's in the front. He's in the driveway. He, he brought a, a freaking, he drove a police car. And so as he's going in through the front door, Brian is crashing through the rear window. And again, he doesn't do anything. He just crashes through the window, lands on the floor, and he is all in pain. And Colonel Track is shot and killed. Lawndale uh, with Tina at gunpoint escapes out the the now open window that has been broken open because of Brian and is able to get around to the front of the house from the outside and get into Lacero's police car and drive away. Had he not done that, the only other way out of that room would be the doorway in which Lucero was just getting ready to walk through. So if anything, all Brian did was uh, help Lawndale escape. And then there's this big scene where Brian is with Lucero and then there's all the skateboard punks and they're out and they, they, they track down Lawndale and, and there's this, the, the, the epic conclusion, the, the big scene, the, the money shot or whatever you want to call it. Lawndale is standing up on this bridge or something with, with Tina and he's shooting at Lucero and from behind Brian leaps over something with his skateboard and, Lawndale turns around, turns around and sees sees him like arcing through the air with his, you know, on his skateboard. And before he can shoot Brian, Brian slams into him. Uh, I had a really good time watching this movie. I have not seen this movie in, good Lord, I know I watched it a number of times, probably after it came out on video, but it's probably been 25 years since I've seen this thing. I did have a better time watching Pump Up the Volume than I did watching this. Uh, this movie didn't hold up at all in in practically every way. Uh, Pump Up the Volume, on the other hand, while fashion and, and whatnot didn't quite hold up, I still found myself being moved during certain moments and uh, did not find that happening at all with pump up the volume. In fact, what I found myself doing was picking up my phone a number of times and playing solitaire on my phone. That uh I think that in essence really speaks to um how this movie affected me. 
So yeah, you can watch it now. It's on Amazon Prime if you've got Amazon Prime. I think it's. I think somebody put a copy up on YouTube. If you want to go out on YouTube and just look for Gleaming the Cube, I think it's there. But it was fun. It was a fun movie. I think the the thing that amazes me the most is learning just over the last few months that MC Bat Commander from the Aquabats was in the movie. That more than anything about this movie, it's like I wanted to I wanted to watch the whole thing just so I could see every scene that the MC Bat Commander was in. And he did not disappoint at all in this movie. So there it is, folks. Gleaming the Cube. Gleaming the Cube. January 1989. Uh, not really any big stars in this movie. I don't know if you would consider... I think, I think Christian Slater had done Heathers before he did this. So he might have been somewhat of a name. I know that when the movie started, his name came up first. It was like Christian Slater, and then uh, also appearing some name I didn't recognize. So there were people in it that I recognized. The guy play, who played Lawndale, I recognized him. Uh, the guy who played Bobby Nguyen, I recognized him. Um, there's a, yeah. So I don't know what else to say, folks. So instead, I'm going to say bye bye And I'll leave you with more music from the, well, more music. It's the same song. It's the theme song. It's the song called gleaming the cube uh bye bye was dumb.